Welcome to Leading Lights. You're about to hear a message from Lighthouse Church in Jersey. So I'm going to tell a story that is partly true and partly not true. It's roughly true, roughly based on true facts. The names of the innocent have been changed to protect the guilty and all that kind of thing. We're talking, before I get to that, we're talking about corridors in life The in-betweens, you know, the disciples saw Jesus die and rise again, but it was 40 days before he went back up to heaven. And there was this in-between period where they were adjusting to a new way of living and working out what it meant for Jesus to have risen again and how did it affect their lives. And we're talking about the in-betweens in our lives. You know those corridors in your life where you've left one room, but you haven't entered the next yet. And we're saying that actually those are not wasted times. God uses corridors powerfully. And so I want to tell you the story about a family, a mom and a dad called uh, Gregeth and Bronwyn in Ineath. The names are being changed just slightly so that you won't have a clue who we're talking about. And they had these three children pretend, um, kind of traveling from Zimbabwe up to South Africa in a car with all of their kit. They're moving from one country to another and they feel like they're in between. They're going in between. And just as they go through the border, just after the border with South Africa, they're going close to a place called Louis Trekard and there's these big mountains with these tunnels which are dark. There's no lights inside the tunnel. And the children are complaining. I don't know if anyone else has ever had children that complain on long journeys, but my word, does that jive on my liver. I get so upset by this constant fighting and noise in the background. Mom, Matthew's toes on my side of the seat. And, and Matthew's stretched out, I'm sleeping, but he's not really sleeping. Mom, open the window. Mom, Dad, close the window. Mommy's stealing my apple. Mama. And it's just going on and on and on. I'm not frustrated or anything. <laughs> and then a blessed tunnel comes along. And suddenly, I don't know if you've ever seen those YouTube clips of babies going into tunnels, but it's really funny. They're all talking or they're crying, whatever it is. Suddenly they go into a tunnel and they just freeze and their eyes go wide open. It's like, what on earth has just happened? Anyway, this is not a true story, but what happens is this family go into the tunnel. The little girl in the middle, whose name is Ashalula, um, is trying to eat her apple and the boys are giving her trouble and they want her apple and as they go into the dark tunnel it goes pitch black and suddenly there's the noise of an apple being crunched eaten and then there's two loud slap punch type sounds and they come out of the tunnel and everybody's just sitting there in complete shock and the the little girl doesn't have her apple anymore and the two boys have big red welts on their thighs where they've been slapped and nobody knows what's happened the one boy thinks the other boys slapped him the other boy thinks the other boys slapped and the little girl thinks the boys have taken the apple but everyone's quiet for a second and the dad looks over sneakily at the mom and she's quietly chewing an apple Tunnels are like corridors, and what happened to the disciples was something so important. And I make light of it, friends, but I want to say that today's sermon, I say this every now and again, today is one of those important ones. If you're going to take notes or if you're going to bookmark this on the internet or something, today is one of those important sermons that we will refer to 
many, many times in our lives. It's important. It's a lesson that God has taught me many times, and it's so important. It's one of those mountaintop lessons that I, I consider the most important in my life. And it goes like this. The disciples had been used to relating to Jesus as a physical human being. For three years, they had known him in the flesh, as it were, and they had to get used to relating to him after Pentecost as a spirit. A spirit is intangible. The Bible says um, that it's invisible. We're told in Colossians that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. God is invisible. Spirit is invisible. Jesus said to the woman at the well, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. They, they had to adjust from this relating to Jesus in a physical way, where they could physically hear his words, where they could tangibly touch him, where they could see him with their eyes. They had to change to a place where he was spirit, Holy Spirit. Now, he said before he died that it would be better for them when the Spirit came because then more power would be released. But they had to learn to adjust their senses. Just like as we go into a tunnel, you've been used to the light and suddenly you've got to get used to seeing in a different way. It's dark. Your eyes have to adjust. The disciples had to adjust to relating to Jesus as a spirit. And that's what you and I have to do. There's a verse in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 1, where Paul says, guys, you're acting like baby Christians. You're carnal Christians instead of spiritual Christians. What he means by that, carnal Christian doesn't mean a sinner. It means someone who relates based on fleshly senses. And I really feel strongly for myself and for many, many Christians that so many of us, if Paul the Apostle were to come and to meet us today, after speaking to us for maybe half an hour, he would say to us, man, you're a baby Christian. And we would say, but I've been a Christian for 20 years. I know the Bible. I go to church. I do all these ministries. I, I give money. I help people. I'm, I'm a, a mature leader in the church. And he would say, yes, but you're still relating based on physical what you see and hear and, and, and what you can work out with your physical senses and your physical mind instead of spiritual things. And we're carnal Christians. And just as we're going into a tunnel, the disciples had a 40-day period where they had to learn to relate to Jesus as a spirit instead of as a, a fleshly body. And what happened was, Jesus used these 40 days to appear to them in a physical way, but with the Spirit on the outside instead of on the inside. And I'm going to explain this. You know, for the three years that they walked around with Jesus, He had the Spirit of God inside Him. The Bible says when people looked at Him, there was nothing special about Him on the outside, but it was the Spirit on the inside. It was only when he was transfigured on the top of the mountain that Peter, James, and John saw the light that was inside of him shining out, and they realized, wow, this is the glory of heaven is inside this man. But in that 40-day period after he rose again, people didn't recognize him. Why? He still had a physical body, but the spirit 
was on the outside. I know this is kind of weird to get, but please follow with me. 1 Corinthians 15 talks about this resurrected body that we're all going to have, and it says the mortal must clothe itself with immortality. The corruptible must clothe itself with incorruptible. In other words, Jesus' fleshly body was clothed in spiritual power, and as a result, when people saw Jesus, they didn't recognize him because they had to learn in this in-between time to see with their spiritual eyes, to hear with their spiritual ears, otherwise they wouldn't know it was him. You say, Greg, is this really true? Think about it. Mary, she sees Jesus at the tomb on the day that he rises again. She thinks he's a gardener. She doesn't recognize him. It's only when he says the word, Mary, and suddenly her spirit remembered that feeling of Jesus speaking to her heart with Mary. And she learned in that in-between time to sense him with her spirit. It was when he said her name. Do you remember that? And then the two on the road to Emmaus, they're walking along. They don't recognize him for the whole three-hour trip. They don't recognize him until he breaks the bread. He gives thanks and he breaks the bread. He has communion with them. And their spirits... Suddenly they stop using their their senses, their eyes and ears and their physical senses and their logical brains and their spirits are awakened and they start to see it and then they see him and then he disappears. So the first is when he says your name. The second is in breaking of bread. The third is the disciples on that first Sunday night. He comes in, they don't recognize him. He says, it is I, look at my wounds touch my body. Thomas was the same. Remember, he says, I don't believe it's Jesus. Jesus said, look, touch, put your hands in my wounds. And then their spirits were awakened when they realized a dead man has come back to life and we have evidence of him being dead and alive again. That's the third way that our spirits can be awakened in this in-between time. And then the fourth time was on the Sea of Galilee in John chapter 21. Seven of the disciples are there. They go fishing. It's been several weeks. You know, it says this was the third time only that Jesus appeared to the disciples. So even though he was there for 40 days before he went back up to heaven, he only appeared to them every now and again, maybe once a week. And so they're learning in this in-between time what it's like to relate to Jesus as a spirit. You know, just after he rose again, John chapter 20, Jesus comes to the disciples and he says, and he breathes on him, breathes on them. John 20, 22. He breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. They, they had a, a portion of the Holy Spirit. So they, in this in-between period, they were going to be filled with the Spirit at Pentecost at the end. But in this in-between time, they have something of the Spirit and they're learning to relate to Jesus as a spirit. Right, I was talking about the the Sea of Galilee. So Jesus appears to them at the Sea of Galilee. um, They're fishing. Peter says, I'm going back to fishing. I I don't know why Jesus isn't appearing to me more. I'm going back to fishing. It's like he's he's given up. He, He feels guilty for denying Jesus. And he goes back to fishing. And the Bible says they'd fished all night. In fact, let me read you this story. I hope you're following with me. Sometimes I've just got so much from the Lord in my heart that I want to say that I go a bit quickly. So I'll try and summarize it and clarify it at the end. But 
Just stick with me. John 21, verse 1. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And in this way, he showed himself. Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, the sons of Zebedee, two others were together. Simon said, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we're going with you also. They went out immediately, got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. But when the morning had come, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Again, why don't they recognize him? They've lived with him for three years. They know Jesus. It's because he's clothed himself in the Spirit, and they only will recognize him when they activate their spiritual senses, and they start to relate to him as a spirit. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Friend, brother, sister, Christian, are you a carnal Christian? Do you still need physical senses, things from your eyes and ears and emotions and mind to make you think that something is true? Or have you learned to relate to Jesus and God as a spirit by faith, the invisible God? If you haven't, you're still in this tunnel. You're still in this in-between time. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3 verse 1, you are a baby in Christ. You're a carnal Christian. So they didn't recognize that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, Children, have you any food? They answered, No. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast, and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Therefore the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. So the first time that people had their spiritual eyes opened, was Mary when Jesus said her name. The second time was the two on the road to Emmaus when the communion bread was broken. The third time was when Jesus gave them proof that he died and rose again. And the fourth time was when there was a miraculous provision of fish. They'd been working hard all night. They were discouraged. They'd gone back to fishing. They'd tried and tried and tried to catch fish, caught nothing. And Jesus said, just do this. They obeyed and they caught so much fish they couldn't pull the nets in. The Bible later says there were 153 fish in the net and they couldn't pull them in. Friends, there are four ways that God will help you in this tunnel to move from being a carnal Christian where you rely on your senses to being a faith Christian, where you relate to the invisible God in the spirit realm. God is spirit. He's invisible. We worship Him in spirit and truth. You know, faith, the Bible says many times, uh, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 7 says, we walk by faith and not by sight. Faith and sight are always put against each other. In other words, it's seeing invisible versus seeing what is physical. Hebrews 11 verse 1, the evidence of things hoped for, the substance of things not seen. Uh, Hebrews 11 verse 3, by faith we understand that everything that was made was not made from what is visible. It's always about seeing what is unseen. It says that uh, Moses, let me just read you the verse, Hebrews 11, verse 27. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. That's what faith is. And so we've got to work, we've got to move through this tunnel. 
We've got to come from this place where everything is physical. A baby Christian, a carnal Christian, gets senses from their five senses. And, and people say to them, God is saying this. They don't know it themselves. They just trust that God does something in their circumstances. And they say, wow, God is real. Um, a physical healing happens. They see a miracle and they say, wow, God is real. It's all about the senses lead them to, to follow God or to do something. But a mature Christian lives by faith and not by sight. A mature Christian, at the end of the 40 days, it says it's all about spirit. It's all about invisible. It's all about intangible. The Bible says the natural man cannot perceive the things of the spirit, for they are spiritually discerned. A mature Christian has moved through the tunnel where instead of just relying on what my five senses tell me, I'm now learning to relate to Jesus based on faith and not on feelings. And that's what this tunnel was, was all about. So let me go through the four. The first is Mary. You know, she, um, she remembered Jesus as a physical man. And now she sees him standing there as the gardener. She doesn't recognize him because he's clothed in immortality. He's clothed in the spirit. It's got to be her, her spiritual ears and eyes that are awakened and so Jesus just says her name, probably in a similar tone to the way that he'd said it before, when he delivered her from seven demons, when he'd led her and helped her, and, and when she'd followed him and listened to his teaching. He just says, Mary, and her, and her ears, her spiritual ears are open. Friend, I wonder if you've heard the Lord say your name in a spiritual way. You say to me, Greg, what does that mean? There's a verse in John chapter 6, verse 44, which says, Jesus says, No one can come to me unless the Father draws him. What, what does that verse mean? It means this. Imagine you're sitting in church, you're worshiping the Lord, and somebody gives a, a word or a, a sermon or a preach, and you feel something in your heart saying, I want to respond to that. I want to respond. To, I want to repent. I want to, I want to serve. I want to give my life to the Lord. I want to go and get prayer or whatever it is. You're feeling something in you saying, I want to respond to that. John 6, 44 says, no one can come to Jesus unless the Father draws him. If you have a feeling like you want to respond to God, you know what it is? It's Jesus saying your name. It's not an emotion. Because it's impossible for anyone to come to the Lord unless the Father is drawing him. If you feel that tug on your heart, you know what it is? It's God taking you from the physical, earthly, carnal, baby Christian state through the tunnel and saying, come on, let's go. I'm trying to teach you to listen to the Spirit. And you have the choice, and I have the choice, every time that happens, to say, Lord... I'm either going to learn this lesson and learn to relate to God by faith, or I'm going to remain a carnal Christian, and unless somebody forces me, I'm not going up. That's the first one. The second one is the breaking of bread. The disciples on the road to Emmaus, Jesus takes the bread, and He breaks it, and He gives thanks, and as He breaks the bread, it says their eyes were opened, and they recognized Jesus. Friend, there is something that happens when we take communion. Have you ever felt this? I wonder if I'm the only one. I eat the bread, and I thank God, but as I take the cup, 
I sense something. I really do. I sense something, and it's not a physical sensation. It's not my taste buds or my, my physical senses. It's not my logic. I sense something. That is God. That is God calling you, trying to take you through the tunnel, trying to reveal himself to you, and you and I have the choice at that moment, every single time it happens, to say, I'm going to remain as a fleshly person who just responds to what I can see, or I'm going to open up my heart and start to relate to God in a spiritual way. The third was when Jesus gave proof to the disciples. Thomas and the others didn't believe in him. Let me read you the verse. Luke 24, verse 39. Jesus comes into the room and he says, Behold, my hands and my feet, it is I myself. He proves to them who he is. And Thomas uh, says, Unless I see his hands and the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And then Thomas saw him and answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you've seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. There's a place, you know, Jesus said, a wicked and adulterous generation ask for a sign in order to believe. No sign will be given them except the sign of Jonah. Do you remember that verse? Jesus says it many times. At least five times he says it. Matthew 12, verse 39. We seek a sign. Jesus said the only sign that you are allowed to get to help you to believe is the sign of Jonah. What is the sign of Jonah? It's the fact that a man can be buried for three days and rise again. You say to me, well, what is that? I, I don't have time to go into it in too much detail, but the summary of it is this. There is enough evidence that Jesus existed, that he was killed by the Romans, that he really was dead, that he was buried in a, in a sealed tomb, that there were Roman guards outside the tomb, and yet on the third day the body was missing, and there is no other reasonable explanation other than he rose again from the dead. There is enough evidence. There are many lawyers who've studied it and say there is evidence of this. It's the one sign Jesus said we're allowed to ask for. And in fact, there's a, a very famous lawyer called Sir Lionel Luku. He's in the 1990 Guinness Book of Records because he won 245 consecutive defense murder trial acquittals. He's a famous lawyer. This is what he said. I've spent more than 42 years as a defense trial lawyer appearing in many parts of the world. I'm still in active practice. I've been fortunate to secure a number of successes in jury trials, and I say unequivocally, the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ is so overwhelming that it compels acceptance by proof, which leaves absolutely no room for doubt. So the third way that we get taken from physical, carnal Christians needing evidence to being spiritual Christians who trust by faith, is if we look at the evidence of his death and resurrection, just like Thomas and the disciples said, I don't believe, and then Jesus said, look, I died and I'm alive. You can have that experience. So that's the third way. I wonder if you're on the journey now. I wonder if you're going through the tunnel. 
And the fourth way, the disciples are on the, on the Sea of Galilee. It's been probably three weeks since Jesus rose again. He's only appeared to them a couple of times. They're not really sure what's going on. Is he back? Is he, does he, want to, is he busy with other things? Does he want to relate to us? Maybe you like that. You're in the tunnel and you're not sure, is God even real anymore? When I first became a Christian, there were words and signs and wonders and miracles and it was all happening and people were telling me, and now, God, are you still there? He's probably moving you through the tunnel to where you relate to Him, not based on what you see, but based on faith. And the disciples said, I'm going back fishing. I don't know what to do anymore. And they're working hard. They try, you might be in your job. You're working through your job. You're saying, is God real? What's going on? You're in the tunnel. He's teaching you faith. And then what happens is Jesus stands on the shore. They don't recognize him. Something happens. And he says, do this. They obey. Suddenly there's miraculous provision. This is the fourth way that God can lead us to faith. Is through miraculous, supernatural provision. How many of us have had an occasion where we have to say that was God that provided that money or that whatever it is, that way out of that difficult problem with resources or finances or whatever it was? And at that moment, you and I have an opportunity. What God's doing is He's leading you through the tunnel to say, trust me by faith. It's not about logic. It's not about pounds and pence and working out does everything balance in the budget it's about faith risk trust me i'm the supernatural god you may not be able to work it all out with your head but trust me look at this wonderful world of faith and the invisible supernatural realm that i'm leading you into and every time you get provision from the lord in fact every month when you get a paycheck it's another opportunity Every time you get that paycheck, you look at it, you say, Lord, am I going to trust logic or am I going to trust you? Every time. You know, it doesn't matter how long you've been giving and tithing for. Every time you have to give, you have to renew your faith again. Isn't that true? It never gets to the point where it's just easy. Every time is a risk. And God is saying, look, I'm giving and now I have to decide, am I trusting the spirit, or am I trusting my logic? So, how do I summarize this? 2 Corinthians 5, verse 16. Paul says, Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. This is the end of the tunnel. They, at the beginning of the tunnel, they only believed what they could see, hear, taste, touch, and feel, and all those things, and what their logic said to them. By the end of the tunnel, they said, we trust by faith this spiritual invisible God. And you know, Jesus said in John 11, when Lazarus had died, and he comes to Mary and Martha, their brother had died, and they say, Lord, if you had just been here, he wouldn't have died. Jesus said, did I not say to you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? And that's always the order that God wants it for us. 
You see, when you're a baby Christian, you say, if I see a miracle, then I'll believe God. If I see a circumstance, then I'll believe God is leading me to that. If I hear a prophecy, then I'll know God is saying it. If my emotions are very moved in a sermon, then I'll know that it was God speaking. That's a baby Christian. God wants us to get to the place where He says, if you believe, you'll see. Where I don't need the music and the worship band to be amazing, I trust and I know God's here and I worship Him. Whether there's emotions and feelings to, to lead me there, I just do it by faith. And then I see the glory. I don't need a sign or a prophecy or a word or a, a physical symptom to change to believe God is healing me. I trust His word. He says it. And then I see the results. I don't need to feel emotionally stirred to know it was God. I don't need some great prophet to shake and sweat and say, the Lord says, before I believe it's God. I don't need to see to believe. I believe. And the results are you see. You know, when Jesus said a wicked and adulterous generation demand a sign, what he was saying is not that signs are bad. He was saying don't look for signs. Believe without the signs and the signs will follow. Mark chapter 16, Jesus said, these signs will follow those who believe. They will speak in new tongues. They will cast out demons, the, the, all those different things. Friends, I'm trusting. I really am trusting and believing that God is leading us from childhood, from babyhood to maturity. It's like a tunnel. And I'm going to ask you today, where are you in this tunnel? You see, you might say, I, I think I'm actually still on the carnal, physical side. I still need to feel. I still need to see. I still need somebody to push me. I, I need a sign before I believe. I believe today God is speaking to you in at least one of those four ways. We haven't had communion today, but it could be provision. It could be just the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. It could be that he's tugging on your heartstrings and he's saying your name. There's another verse I just want to share with you. It's in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 18. It says, The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The message of the cross, the fact that Jesus died for your sins, is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. This is another one of those tunnel examples. If the, the message of the cross is foolishness to you, then you are, you're nowhere. You're nowhere near God. But if it makes sense to you, this verse says that you are being saved. That doesn't mean you are saved yet. It means God is drawing you into this tunnel and saying, come on, start to, start to see me for who I am. It's the same as when God draws you and says your name. If you're sensing that, if you understand the message of the cross is true, if you're sensing God drawing you, He's saying to you, come, come. I want to show you myself as an invisible spirit. And when you live by faith, friend, you're unstoppable. You know, the, the armor of God in Ephesians chapter 6, the sword of the Spirit, the belt of truth, all those things. One of the main ones is the shield of faith with which we extinguish all the fiery darts of the enemy. Many Christians 
Say, I've been a Christian for many years, and yet I still get plagued with thoughts, with emotions, with negative feelings. I wake up and I'm feeling like this, I'm feeling like this, I, I feel down, I'm confused. The answer is you haven't learned to put up the shield of faith. You're still on the carnal side of the tunnel. You're still relying on feelings to tell you what God is saying instead of relying on faith, which says, I know what God's Word says. I'm trusting in the invisible, the intangible, the spiritual that I cannot sense with my five senses. I'm trusting in God. And until you put up that shield of faith, you are completely vulnerable. The devil can give you a feeling of depression, of rejection, of lead you astray. He can make you think you've heard a prophecy that's not true. He can completely ruin your life because you haven't put up the shield of faith which says, it's not about what I sense. It's not about what I feel and see. I'm trusting by faith. I know what God's Word says, and nothing will move me. And when we're there, when we believe, these signs will follow. We see all the, all the results, but it's because we've trusted by faith. Friends, this is so important. This is so important. I have on my heart such a strong desire for my brothers and sisters to grow up in Christ. To grow up in Christ. To not be babies. To not be blown every which way by every wind of teaching and feelings that come along. To say, I know what God's Word says. And that's what this in-between period was for the disciples. At the beginning of it, they were clueless. At the end of it, Paul says, we no longer see Christ according to the flesh. And we don't look at anybody else in that way either. We used to, but now we know that He is a spirit. I'm going to ask us to make some decisions today. So if you could just stand with me and we're going to pray a prayer. It might be that the Holy Spirit is tugging on your heart today. He may be speaking to you. I'm going to ask you to focus on Him. Perhaps let's just sing a worship song together. And then I'm just going to pray a prayer for us all together. So let, let's just worship together. Right, brothers and sisters, I'm going to ask you to imagine that you're standing at the beginning of this tunnel. Jesus wants to lead you through it to adjust the way your eyes see things in a different light, to see in the Spirit instead of with your physical senses, to trust by faith instead of your physical logic, to move from being a baby Christian a carnal Christian to being a spiritual Christian. And the first thing you need to say is, Lord, I'm sorry for the times where you've called my name, where you've miraculously provided, where you've given me proof, where I've had communion, but I haven't moved into faith. I've moved back into physical senses. I'm sorry for that, Lord. I'm sorry for being a baby Christian and not trusting by faith. If that's you, just, just do that right now. You know, without repentance, without dying to the old, we never have new life. We have to say, Lord, that was wrong and I'm sorry for that. But now, Lord, I choose to move forward. Lord, I've heard you call my name today. Lord, I've seen you miraculously provide for me recently. Lord, I know that you are leading me into a faith walk instead of a feelings walk. And I choose today, Lord, I use my will to choose 
to follow you whether I feel it or not. I choose to believe by faith, not because I see the signs, not because my feelings move me. I choose to trust your word is true. I choose to relate to you as the invisible spiritual instead of the fleshly. And I choose today to move through that tunnel. Lord, I'm not even sure how to move through the tunnel, but I'm choosing today to start moving, Lord. I'm choosing to walk towards faith instead of feelings. And Lord, I want to put up that shield of faith today so that those fiery darts, when those accusations, when those negative emotions, when those wrong thoughts come to me, I just put up the shield of faith. I say, it is written. God's word is true. It doesn't matter what that feeling says. It's not real. I'm choosing to put up the shield of faith today. And I'm choosing to grow up in my Christian walk so that I can do great things for you in the days ahead. And if you believe that, and if that's true of you, say amen and let's praise the Lord together. Say amen. Thanks for listening. Please visit leadinglightsnetwork.com for more resources and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Please consider supporting this ministry financially by making a donation on the giving page of leadinglightsnetwork.com or lighthousejersey.com.